I didn't bring my shovel with me. Last week, if you're here, you know that I had a shovel, and we talked about digging wide the hole in addition to digging deep, in which we try to make space to get deeply rooted in our spiritual faith so that God can, can grow us strong. Last week, our focus was the whip, which represented our self-awareness, uh, realizing that sometimes our feelings get in the way of trusting God. Sometimes poor thinking impacts the way we see God and view God as well as other people, sometimes creeping into prejudices to others because of previous experience. And sometimes we get so attached to some things in this world, we come to love them more than we love God. And so the more we're aware of our feelings, our thoughts and attachments, the more we are conscious of how they're impacting that relationship, we open things up for God to bring his transforming power into our lives. Today we're going to focus on going deep. And depth represents in this this metaphor, the knowledge of God. When we combine that with self-awareness, God does great things. Now, I'd say there's six major sources of knowledge of God, things that God uses to reveal himself to us because knowledge of God is something beyond our normal human thinking. And the first of these would be the Word. The Word is more than just the written words that we find in the Bible. The Word is that, that living spirit where where you come to God and say, what do you have to say to me in this story or in this passage? In addition, the word refers to also Jesus Christ. John 1 says at the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so we put special emphasis on the life and teachings of Jesus as we believe he's the incarnation of God. A second source is prayer. And I imagine all of us could get a little better at this. The Apostle Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. Prayer is so vital and important for us to sense God's presence, but also to hear his voice. It's hard to find silence these days, is it not? And silence is important because God is truly beyond our vocabulary. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just shut up and listen. But we live in a world that's just bombarded with electronics. Noise is so prevalent. We have to make time for silence now instead of it just naturally being a part of our lives. Prayer is so vital if we truly want to hear God's direction and guidance. Now, I know that sometimes you don't find that very productive. Sometimes you pray and you don't hear, you don't feel, you don't sense God saying anything. But please trust, if you make yourself available to God he will honor that in his time at his choosing. Creation is another source. Science may explain it, but it cannot fully overcome the beauty that it brings to us. And so science just adds to our understanding of it. So waves from an ocean, mountain formations, the colors of fall, the stars of night, all this comes together. If you've ever worshipped with us out at Teeter, you know how valuable it is uh, the nice thing when you go out there, it doesn't matter how good or bad the sermon is because you can just look up and say, thank you, God. No comments, please, all right? Not much to look at here, so I'll just do my best. Uh, also, we have, in addition to the word and prayer and creation, we also have the gifts that God gives to us. And, and when you have something, a God-given gift, whether it's music 
dancing, sculpting, writing, even management. Even there's the gift of analysis. We, we've got someone in our congregation who hasn't been utilized a whole lot, but when we did our fruitful congregation journey process and we had that ministry action plan, he came forth and said, uh, he, he gave us a document that visually helped us see the big picture of it all. What a gift that was and how exciting it's been to see him live that out. We also have community. I've spent enough time in small groups, I'm beginning to think this may be one of the most important ways that God transforms us. How nice to have a place where you build that relationship with trusted people. It becomes a place where you can confess honestly. A place where you can share your prayers and concerns and you follow through how God answers those prayers because you're so invested in the people that you're with. It's also a place to be held accountable. When you say you want to grow, you want to change, to have people say, how are you doing with that? And then finally, service is a great way that God continues to work his ways and bring his knowledge to us. When you serve, you're rising above your own problems. You put your focus on someone else. All the uh, research shows that it certainly people are happier when they serve. It becomes a means of God's grace. And anyone who has done that in their uh, lives know what I'm talking about. Now, there is no magic formula. There's not, there's not something in all these six that somehow you've got to do first or second. Each of us are different. And God gives us all these resources to find the way that we need to discover who he is. So please take heart. If you're not great at reading the Bible, remember that, that God grew the church at the fastest rate when people were mostly illiterate, before there actually was a written Bible to place in their hands. If you have trouble praying and being reflective, just know that find the way that works for you. I encourage you to try all these, to extend yourself. But as you do so, figure out what way works best for you. Now, if you grow in your knowledge of God, in time you may develop some confidence in what you know about God. And that's when you've got to be careful. Sometimes we claim to know too much about God. And so I hope that you always keep in balance in your thinking, in your understanding, so that you don't get a misperception of who God is and then so you don't spread that misperception of God. Realize Two things. One is that God is transcendent. That means God is far. God is, in a sense, distant and above all of us. God is separate from his creation. He is greater qualitatively and quantitatively than any of us. The Bible uses metaphors like king and majesty. Metaphors like farness and distance. And so God is God and we are not. God is perfect and pure and we are not. God is holy and we are not. God is beyond us in all ways. Can I get what I'm talking about here? But thankfully, God is also imminent, which means he's near us. He dwells with us. He is close. The Bible used, uses metaphors like father and shepherd, bridegroom, beloved. God is close by. The greatest expression of that is in Jesus Christ himself, the incarnation of God, who came down to earth and lived and worked and died. He became 
like us so that we could become like him. Now, here's kind of a chart, you might say, that looks at the world religions. And I'm not trying to make a statement about the validity of any of these religions. I think it's helpful to us, though, to see how Christianity holds these two truths about God in tension. And you'll see that Islam sees a very transcendent God. He is so far above us. Whereas Buddhism and Hinduism sees God in everything, sees God as eminent. And the danger is if we go one way or the other too far, we lose a sense of who God is. If we see God as transcendent, then it means that he has very little to do with our everyday lives. If he's eminent, then sometimes our view of God becomes so subjective, it's based on what we feel. It's based on what we've experienced and realize that God is far greater than that. So I encourage you to find that balance always in what you believe you know about God. Now, I'd like to come back to our... Uh, and let's, let's just stop and express. There's a beautiful psalm that expresses transcendence and eminence. It's Psalm 8. Let, let's share this responsibly. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. Now I want to come back to our scripture passage that was read earlier by Pastor Aaron and talk about that centurion. I think the centurion serves as a model, as an uh, illustration, you might say, of this God in our place in his creation. Now, you notice it doesn't say Roman centurion. We believe that's because that he was a soldier in Herod Antipas' army. They ruled over Galilee. That territory was given to them to rule over by the Romans. And, and, but yet, that title suggests that Antipas probably modeled his army after the Roman army. We believe that he would have been in charge of some, <coughs> excuse me, some 80 troops even though it says centurion, which means 100, we know that that's give or take 100. So probably 80 troops he's in charge of. He got that position not because of any family title. He would have earned it in the battlefield. He would have gained the respect of his fellow soldiers, and he would have been battle-tested. And so he was a person that received orders and also gave orders. He'd have other duties than just fighting the battlefield, they'd oversee customs, they'd oversee uh, those persons that would be uh, receiving justice. But here's the thing about this particular centurion. Most centurions would be despised by the Jewish people because they were part of the oppression that they experienced. But this particular centurion, if we look at the parallel version of this story in Luke chapter 7, says that some Jewish intermediaries came on his behalf. When they learned that his servant was ill, they came to Jesus and pleaded that he come, that this centurion was deserving. He had even helped them build their synagogue. And so Jesus was on his way. The two stories are a little bit different. In Luke 7, Jesus never actually gets to the person that needs heal and never actually even comes face to face with the centurion. But in this story, they seem to talk. And the centurion has a sensitivity to him. He lets Jesus know 
either face-to-face -face or through these intermediaries, then he doesn't need to come to his home. He knows that the Jewish people were not allowed in the home of a Gentile. And so he says to him, and here's where his faith really stands out. He says, just tell him to say the word. I'm a man who receives orders and gives orders, and all I do is say the word, and it happens. And so Jesus has that same power. And so Jesus said so, and that servant was healed. Interesting thing in this story, this is the only person in the entire Bible that Jesus is described as being amazed by his faith. Our, our version says impressed, but the NIV and NRSV both say amazed. The only place, the only person that Jesus is impressed by this person's faith. Why is that the case? Well, Jesus had to be surprised. This is a centurion. This is a foreigner. This is someone who doesn't even know all the doctrine of the Jewish faith. The best you could describe him is probably a God-fearer who caught enough of the Jewish faith to see some reality in it. He sees in him also a life well-lived, someone impressive enough that the Jewish people came to respect him in spite of him being part of that oppression. He also had a caring compassion to him. He cared about his slave, his servant. Slaves could be discarded in that day, but he cared about this man, saw him as a human being and not just as his slave. But the most important part is the humility that Jesus sees in him. That even though he's a man who gives orders, a man who has power and authority, and yet he understands his place in God's creation, especially his place in relationship to who Jesus is. That's a real and powerful faith. And something that's valuable for all of us to learn in our spiritual journey with God. To realize that as we dig that foundation, that that whole becomes deeper by our knowledge of God, but also through our self-awareness. We make room for God, then he becomes the center of our lives. On Monday, I found myself in the Apple store. Have you been to the Apple store? It gets a little crazy in there. I think, I'm not sure, but I think I got my cell phone too close to a magnetic field, and I got that dreaded spinning wheel. Have you ever got that spinning wheel on your computer or on your phone? And I tried to try to reset it. I got into a chat with Apple support. They weren't able to help me. They told me it was probably dead. They suggested I take it to Best Buy to the Geek Squad. They tried to reset it. They can't do it either. So they set appointment for 1.50 Monday afternoon at the Apple store. So I go in there, and the first thing they do is they greet me and let me know that they're running a little behind. They don't have as many tech people in today, so it's going to be at least an extra 20 or 25 minutes. So I say, okay. I go and sit down on those little weird benches, and I'm surrounded by 30 other people, and they all don't look very happy. So I'm waiting patiently. Now, you need to understand that I, all morning, had been reflecting on this scripture. I had been studying that centurion. I was kind of mellow. You know, God's in control of things. And besides, Apple Store is my last chance. <laughs> if they can't fix it, I'm going to spend $700 on a new phone. So I do my best to be patient. And that 25 minutes became 45 minutes. And pretty soon, one gentleman 
was getting a little frustrated. He starts asking around, when's your appointment? When's your appointment? When's your appointment? I shared mine. And he's, he's had it by that time. He starts waving down a customer service rep, complaining. He says, look at all these people. Is your time valuable to you? Well, yes, sir. Well, is our time valuable too? Well, of course, sir. And he promises to do his best to get him someone as soon as possible. And he says, well, don't worry about me. That guy's been here since his appointment's at 150. And mine's only 210. You've got to take care of his problem first. And I'm like, leave me out of this. <laughs> I, I don't want to make anybody angry. I just want to get my phone fixed. And, and I've been mellow because I've been studying about the centurion. Well, they finally get to me, and it takes another 45 minutes, but they get it up and running, and I walk out of that store, and I'm happy because now people can connect with me, and I can connect with them, and I don't care that I've wasted three hours of my life. Now, I've been where that gentleman's been. I've been like that many times in my life. And so I encourage you, if you ever in that situation... Stop and reflect upon the God that is in control of all things, the God who is also with you in everything, and know that he has things handled. Because when we lose touch with that, we, we become that impatient person who thinks that we are the center of the world. And we lose touch with the sensitivity to a God who's with us always. So I encourage you, take advantage of those resources that God gives to us to know him fully. Keep in balance the transcendent God and the eminent God and also foster that humility that the centurion had so that God might be God and we might be his children. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the faith of the centurion who knew his place in your creation and knew his place with Jesus, who is our Lord. May we find that same reality as well. May we find that balance in our lives, where you are first, where we put our trust in you, where our knowledge of you feeds also our soul. This is our hope and prayer through Christ, who is our Lord. Amen.